Welcome to the Educate to Advocate podcast. I'm April Tate, mom of two, founder of Drops of Hope, and a special education advocate. I am Dr. Penny Stack, occupational therapist and founder of Dyslexia Center of Tulsa, where we provide team-based therapy to bring children to grade level reading. Hey, let's share with everyone why we're doing the podcast. I'm here to connect with listeners so that we don't go alone in the process of helping our children. I'm here to broaden awareness for providers that learning difficulties are not just about learning issues or needs, it's about the person's lived experience. So today we are talking uh, really bright in your wheelhouse, Penny. We are talking (laughs) about uh, dyslexia and who can diagnose and what treatment looks like. And so I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. You have a lot of knowledge to share with our listeners. So I'm going to go ahead and just ask who, who can diagnose? Well, these are loaded questions, and I'm really glad we're visiting this topic today as well. The only way to definitively diagnose dyslexia is through a functional MRI. And a functional MRI is pretty much like an x-ray machine that takes a look at the parts of the brain that are firing while you're doing an activity. But the thing is, we don't have functional MRIs in every school. So typically, the next best thing that we do is a psychologist will pull a variety of assessments and evaluate all the skills that are required for reading, and they go ahead and make the formal diagnosis. Okay, now is that a school psychologist or is that a... Great question. So typically, school psychologists do not provide a diagnosis for dyslexia. They most likely will test all of the same skills required for dyslexia, but they will categorize and give the diagnosis of a specific learning disability. And typically a dyslexia diagnosis will come from a neuropsychologist or a psychologist or a clinical psychologist out in the community, outside and separate from school. Okay. So school psychologists typically don't give this diagnosis. They typically will evaluate the student and determine eligibility for services under IDEA. That's right. Okay. Okay. Perfect. That's right. And so now that we have the evaluation, the report, the common practice at this point, as I said before, everything will be identified where the student's strengths lie and areas that they need more support in. But what typically happens from that is it will follow with several pages of accommodations. So for example, let's say that they have real struggles with their auditory memory, being able to process how they hear things. Instead of treating that, which means improving their memory, which is what you would see in the medical model of treating somebody with impaired memory, typically somebody with dyslexia will have accommodations on how to offset that challenge. In other words, it's a Band-Aid. They're not treating it. They're just giving an accommodation to get through the school day. So if they have difficulty processing what they hear, they may be able to record what the teacher's saying, or they may be able to have somebody take notes for them. And so those could be some examples. But I think what goes, what is really missed is the fact that dyslexia can be treated. Right. Often I have parents call, hey, do you do tutoring? And when they are talking about tutoring, what they are talking about is some structured reading program. Right. And in my mind, when I hear tutoring, I think old school tutoring you know, bring your homework, sit down, let's, let's sit work down on together. Tutoring, right? yep. That's still my definition of tutoring. And, or they'll confuse the word therapy for that reading intervention. But again, as an occupational therapist, I look at therapy quite different from medical model. And there are a variety of things that need to be going on in your brain that need to be working well for reading to be successful. And there, there's a long list and they do develop in sequential order. For example, your visual perceptual skills, being able to interpret what you see, or, and this could think about letter reversals, not being able to to tell shapes apart, telling the difference between a B and a D or five and a three, visual motor, that hand-eye coordination and copy notes quickly, 
primitive reflexes, being able to um, have all your neuropathways in place so that you can process the world around you. Uh, visual sequential memory, think about think about algebra problem, mm-hmm. right? And the order you have to do that in or following written directions or auditory sequential memory. Again, following directions, the teacher goes down a list of how to do I don't know, long division. Remember those days? Oh, yes. Oh, and, yes. Then, and then just trying to remember now, what was step one? And and kind of being lost in that phonological awareness is being able to identify sound with a letter, being able to manipulate the sound. You take a letter out of a word, what's the new word? Or being you able are, to recognize those blends. Yeah, recognizing blends like TH or um, ST, things like that. And then phonological remembering, remembering all of those things. And then reading, which is a broad term that I think about decoding or sounding out a word. Encoding would be spelling, the rate of how quickly you can read, the accuracy of what you're reading, and then that fluency is that cadence. Being able to read for information. Yeah, instead of, well, that would be comprehension, right? Reading for information is comprehension. But before that, we'd have to be fluent. So people that really struggle with decoding, meaning sounding out a word, may sound very robotic right. when they read and they're spending all their brain and energy just trying to figure out the word that that comprehension piece hasn't come yet. So these are all the things that need to be in place for reading. And traditionally in school, when somebody has dyslexia, they typically start at the top of the pyramid. They start, in my mind, at the latest stage of development, meaning they start that phonological awareness so they can read. But no one's really treating the memory, the visual perceptual skills, or the visual motor skills that are required for all this to hold on to. So we'll take an example. Let's say you have difficulty with remembering sight words, mm-hmm. or your child studied all week at home and they go to take the test and they can't remember. I'm curious if they really also have difficulties with their visual memory. Right. Right. And you can't have one working without the other. So, okay. So we get this test. We have all these points that we see that we're struggling on. The first thing I would really suggest to parents is ask what the treatment should be, not what the accommodations are. Oh, I see they're having difficulty memory. Great. How do we treat that? Treat is the key word here. Right. And if you hear accommodations come up, no, no, no. Treat. Treat. (laughs) Treatment. Just keep coming back, right? Right. And it can be broad. School has parameters in which they have to function. And I I feel like schools are in a tough situation because dyslexia is diagnosed in the DSM-5, which is a medical Medical book to diagnose, but yet we're asking teachers who are not medical providers to treat it. Help treat that. Right? Yes. It's it's kind of like an unfair setup for teachers because teachers are learn that they are to give accommodations and strategies. And, but if, and, but if we don't treat this kid stays in the cycle and they will not ever improve to their maximum potential until that foundation's built. So dyslexia is treatable. And I think that's the key thing I want to get across. And it could, it cannot be treated by one discipline alone. This is a team and what that team looks like, that's going to be up to your resources, right? So that's kind of what I want to dig into. Okay. And so what I'd like to do is take each one of these components because we know the psychologist can evaluate. And now that the team's all together in the meeting, we have all these parts and let's divvy it up, right? Let's, you know, where did I hear, what did I hear? Um, More hands makes less work. Right. Right. And I'm pretty convinced if you put the expert in front of the child of that niche, 
the child's trajectory of improvement will be huge. For example, I am not a reading specialist. Right. I was never trained on how to teach someone to read. I'm an occupational therapist. So for me to sit down and implement a phonics program, way out of my league, right? Here at our clinic, we have teachers here to do that component because that's their area of expertise. Just like we have speech therapists that are working on auditory memory. We have OTs working on maybe visual perceptual skills. So, but what if you don't have those resources, right? right? What do you do? So let's get creative. Okay. Okay. And this may be something that the school can help kind of navigate. uh, Depending upon the schools, some schools may may have the flexibility, Mm -hmm. especially private schools. They may have more flexibility to do this than the boundaries of public schools. And it depends because private schools aren't required to give accommodations, but I know many private schools are willing to get creative in helping out the child. So it's not formal, but I've heard from many parents, the school will do that. And this, you know, some schools will, and some schools will won't, they're not legally obligated to do anything. Right. They're just there to help their, help their kids. They're just there. So there's that. So let's start at the bottom here. When I say the bottom, I mean the foundational part of development, which is that lived experience and confidence and self-esteem. We have to have a good sense of self to be able to even engage. Sure. Right. And if our self-esteem is not where it should be, or we feel withdrawn, that could be something that maybe a counselor can help us with. Maybe a school counselor, maybe a play therapist, maybe a psychologist, depending upon the depth. We know that suicide, anxiety, and depression run high with children with dyslexia. So we want to make sure they get support and maybe the parents get some support on how to help the children at home. So that's the first foundational point. It's important to note right here that it's difficult for for parents who are coming into these situations and they don't have this basis of knowledge and they're trying to figure this out. And I think you've no, you've mentioned in the past that a lot of times children with dyslexia have a parent that has yes. dyslexia. And so they're seeing, yes, I see this problem. I struggle with this my, myself, but trying to just get a broad base of knowledge so that they, they are empowered and they feel comfortable talking to the school and talking to specialists to get their children the help they need is really important to know. Right. And I, I think we know that the child's the center of the team, but the parent needs support, equal support. Yes. And how do we do that? And then we have primitive survival reflexes or, you know, sensory needs. Those are things that physical therapists can help with occupational therapists, but what if they don't qualify for OT? I was just about to say, very difficult difficult to qualify for OT in schools. These are, I don't want to say easily treated, but in comparison to dyslexia, they are easier to treat, but they really involve motor movement and lots of activity. And so uh, other creative resources to check out would be yoga. I know in our community in Tulsa, we have an aerial yoga studio that's for that's for, for kids. Children, yes. Like that would be great. Uh-huh. Um, we also, how about talking to the teacher who monitors recess? Could she help facilitate the child to engage in some activities on the playground to help co- incorporate their reflexes or work on their sensory needs? At, at my school, for the younger kids, like preschool, kindergarten, um, they have we have sensory motor rooms there where go. they go, you know, every day and they climb ladders and they jump right. on trampolines and they walk the balance beam. But I've also seen on Facebook, and we are really fortunate to just be able to grant to uh, process a grant for our school for a sensory pathway that goes I down the hall. I was just going to ask that. Yeah, those look so fun, and I think I just think you know, as you're walking down the hall, because you walk down the hall 15 times a day, just to be able to go through and do the little push up on the wall and clap and do the hopscotch, a very easy way to implement some sensory integration into your day. Absolutely. And also think about if they have sensory needs in terms of touch or 
or sound or hearing, could the art teacher help mm-hmm. with some type of project like finger painting or Mac or, um, oh, what is that Different stuff? Different materials. Then. Right. I, I'm trying to think of how oh, I'm lost already, but you know, paper mache. That's paper mache. Oh my gosh. Right. Paper mache. You are not the only one with word finding <laughs> issues, my friend. So just really take a look at sports, anything where they can get that movement. Of course, it's not the formal therapy that you're thinking of, but there's nothing to say that the OT or the PT couldn't at least collaborate, have a conversation with the other professional and say, hey, while you have this kiddo in your class, could you increase the opportunities of them to engage in these activities? Right. Because this is the bottom of the pyramid. This is right. These are needs that need to be met before they can move on to these higher functioning levels of, of skill. And so just to be able to have someone come in and say, you know, little Johnny over here can't sit still. He keeps falling out of his chair. I see this all the time. Falling out of his chair. It actually happens. He's just sitting there and falls out. Well, it's because he's looking for some for some input and just to be able to have a little bit of input for that kiddo. And think about this. Think about the kiddo who's taking a spelling test or writing and they're holding the pencil kind of wonky. wonky. That's a great (laughs) word. I I have, I still, after all these years, see things that surprise me of how they can get that pencil in their hand or they're having difficulty spelling or whatever. There could be a possibility that they don't have a learning difference at all. Right. They could have issues with core strength Mm -hmm. and they're, they're working so hard on staying upright that doing something so far away from their core, because we development from our we develop from our trunk or our stomach, our core, all the way out to our fingertips. And if we haven't fully developed that, it could truly just be that, which is a much easier fix, so to speak. Sure. And so it's really important to address all these underlying issues for sure. And then we have visual perceptual and visual motor activities. And this is where OT really shines. This is our wheelhouse. But so does a developmental optometrist. And I have a lot of parents say, oh, but my child's vision was it's just fine, checked, right? It's fine. it's fine. And yes, visual acuity or being able to see far near that 2020 that we hear about. Yes, that is one component of being able to process what you're seeing. A developmental optometrist addresses the other 17, right? right? It's well, about those eye muscles teaming up and working together. Exactly. And I shared with you um, before we started this particular recording that my son has a convergence insufficiency and I have gone to the eye doctor my entire life. And I also learned through his through his therapy that I also have a convergence insufficiency. It never came up on the radar. And I, you know, I am an adult and I have been to the, the eye doctor regularly right. throughout my entire life. And you and even it talked about that. getting fatigued, getting fatigued, right? Yeah. Because, so think about this. If your eye muscles are not working together and letters are vibrating, they're falling off the page, words are kind of merging into each other. How difficult would it be to read? How slow would your reading rate be? How poor would your frequency, uh, fluency be your cadence? And people are categorizing you saying you have a reading deficit mm-hmm. when in actuality, it's an ocular motor function and it's not a reading deficit or dyslexia at all. Right. And that's why these foundational skills are so important because it could totally change the intervention. Sure. And we've done the, we've done the uh, therapy for that. And it's, it's a pretty quick six, it eight week therapy. It and is just a few months. Yeah. And these are exercises you can continue later on. Big changes with just a little bit of time. Big changes. You're right. And then we have visual sequential memory that plays to sight words it plays to being able to remember what you're reading. So these are important skills we need for reading and learning. And occupational therapy can work with this. Speech therapy can work with this. A developmental optometrist can work with this. An art teacher can help 
with visual sequential memory. Think about following directions. Think about being at home. This is always my funnest example. And you're cooking, or maybe you're doing an art activity with your child or a craft Mm -hmm. or a science experiment, whatever. And you have the directions in front of you. Could you read along with them and have them try to remember one or two sets of directions work on what they're doing and then come back for some others. That's great therapy for building their ability to remember or lots of games like memory game. Mm -hmm. Um, Spot. It's one of my favorite games. We play a lot of guess. Yes. So there's a lot of activities you can do either at home as a parent or in these real creative ways, like with the art teacher or Maybe even in the classroom, a a teacher, you mentioned walking back and forth from the classroom to another room, walking Mm -hmm. through those hallways. So think about all the bulletin boards that are in school. Mm -hmm. This is perfect. Why? Why? Because they change every season or every few weeks or something else. So could you bring the class down the hall, stop in front of the bulletin board for just a moment or two. They look at the bulletin board for about a minute and then they turn around and you see who remembers what. You're yeah, really, that's perfect. It, it is. It doesn't take any money. No. It doesn't take any extra resources. It doesn't even really take that much time. It doesn't take much time. And boy, you are working on those vis- that visual memory with that child. And you want to really tune into that child that doesn't remember anything or remembers one when everybody else easily remembers five. Right. And if you really want to look into deeper memory, working memory, delayed recall, later in the day, what did you see? Later in the day, what did you see? Next day, what did you see yesterday? So these are all... Real easy ways to work on treating, right? That's our key word here. Because as these executive cognitive functions improve, lo and behold, so will the reading, right? Yes. Because these are all the layers. So auditory sequential memory, same type of scenario. Speech therapies and occupational therapy traditionally work on auditory sequential memory. But what about music, right? And what about PE? They're giving directions, And what about a coach that's giving directions? What about the teacher? This is another real easy thing that teachers can do tomorrow, right? When they go to work. So today is, they give the date. This is the next holiday. This is what we're going to do today. What is it that we're going to do today? And just ask them to repeat back what they just heard. Boom, you're done. Or even the telephone game. Uh You all remember that. Oh yeah, that's a fun one. (laughs) So yeah, that with a group of third graders. (laughs) And, And one of the things I think is really fun is team up two kids or a group of kids and and give them pieces of a project that they're going to put together, maybe a collage or something. And then you have one person giving verbal directions, but the person giving verbal directions cannot see the group of kids that are working on it. And the group of kids cannot see the person giving directions. I actually did that as a corporate team building exercise yes. one time. It's funny. <laughs> it is funny, but all of their projects will look differently, mm-hmm. but it speaks to just auditory And that way they can't see the expression on the person's face. But there's lots of fun activities you can do. Uh, uh, Simon and Boppet are great for auditory, especially auditory sequential memory. So again, if you're a teacher and you're in a classroom, you can have these activities that when there's um, stations that you're doing, they could rotate to stations and do these things. So very easy things that you can incorporate without spending a lot of money, spending a lot of additional time. If those traditional therapies either are not available at all, or the OT comes in once a month to consult and use the teacher have to implement or the paraprofessional. These are all great ways to do that. And then we have phonological awareness. This really speaks to teachers and speech therapists. We have phonological memory, which also falls on their teacher and speech therapist. And then we have that reading where we talk about, like I said earlier, spelling, uh, sounding out words, reading rate, fluency, comprehension. This can be done by a variety of people. 
in addition to the traditional reading specialist or reading teacher, what about a regular classroom teacher? What about speech therapy? What about a parent? What about a tutor? What about a buddy? Yeah. Right? Or what about reading to a teddy bear? Yes. You know, reading to your sibling. Or reading to a sibling, right? Or, you know, if you have a family member that's in a nursing home or in a hospital or somewhere, could they go visit and read to them? Like there's all sorts of creative ways to do this. Our library system here does a pause for reading and you go and and read to the service dogs. My kids love to do this. It's a big deal for them. They get to go in and read to the dog and poor dog just sits there. He's bored of his mind. Right. (laughs) So I knew this was a lot of information in a short amount of time, but please go ahead and feel free to email us or text us or respond on our our pages, any questions you might have to this, because I think it's important for parents to understand that there's a variety of ways that this can be addressed and it doesn't always have to be the traditional route. I love that. Just because some of the key points that I picked up on when we were talking about this, there, you know, there's the fundamental pyramid, the different types of Uh, skills that have to be acquired. But what I really loved about your talk today is that it doesn't have to be so official. There, There are just different easy ways to work on all of these different things. Something that really stood out to me when you were talking is um, my kiddo, both of my children struggle with multiple step directions. And so we work on it at home a lot. My oldest kiddo, he reads above grade level. And I wonder, as I'm listening to this, if we had better recall for our multiple step directions, what would his reading look like? Exactly. That's that's huge. So I have a lot of kids who can read above reading level, but they can't remember a thing that they're reading. Right. Right. And so if you had those executive cognitive skills or foundational skills, all at what average is for that child, then even what they did well should also bump also, up. Also, yeah. You're just absolutely increase. Correct. That's mm-hmm. That's really interesting. And I just love just the practical information for our teacher listeners of different things that they can do. I mean, I, I'm at the school all of the time and I see classes going down the hallway in a line and they're waiting to go into PE or they're waiting to go into music. What a perfect opportunity to look at the bulletin board or to do a sensory pathway. Or to do the telephone thing. They're or all standing the, in line. Yes. Could you imagine the amount of giggles? That's probably why they don't do That's it. That's why they don't do it. <laughs> they're like, hallway procedures, zip up. <laughs> imagine. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all of this great information. Again, it was a lot. So if you have questions, please feel free to email us or post to our, to our Facebook or um, Instagram. I know we'd love to have the opportunity to enter, to interact with you and, and to answer any of your questions you might have. Well, we hope that we left you today feeling empowered to advocate. Thank you so much for making us a small part of your day. We'd love to hear from you what's on your mind. So email us questions and comments at educate to advocate at gmail.com. Listen for your topic to be on a future podcast. Connect with us on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe and listen to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Alexa, and on most podcast platforms.